Hi, this is Karen Kelly, and you're listening to An Appetite for Life. There's a great mix on this show with various topics, amazing guests, and the occasional celebrity guest. So I've been very excited to interview my guest today. We have writer, journalist, and communication strategist, Laura Galloway, also author of Dalvi, Six Years in the Arctic Tundra. So Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm really excited to be here. I have honestly been so excited about um, meeting you because this is not something that you do every day. And it (laughs) takes a certain character, I think, to be able to give up their life in the Western world, if you like, as we know it, and move to remote parts of the world. So you lived in the Arctic for six years. So first of all, how did that journey begin? How did you end up in the Arctic? Well, I'm, as you can tell from my accent, I'm an American and I had been, I was a communications executive that had been living in New York City and had a very high paced, high profile sort of career going on. And I was at a conference where I was given, a, a this is years ago now, um, an early stage DNA test that suggested that I might have some affiliation to the Sami people. And those are the indigenous um, inhabitants of Scandinavia. So that's the Arctic part of Sweden, Norway, Finland, and the Kola Peninsula of Russia. I was looking on the map. Yeah, it's quite remote, isn't it? It is. And and a lot of people don't realize that these, these very mainstream countries have a very vital, um, you know, and very alive indigenous population. And I, so I started traveling to the area. I became really fascinated by that part of the world. I loved it because New York is all concrete and noise and screamy people um, and, um, and busyness and frenetic pace. And the Arctic was nothing. Everything was cold and quiet and silent and vast. So I kept going back again and again and again. And eventually um, I started making friends there and somebody told me that I needed to go to a Sami wedding in Norway in a little village called Gaudigadenu in Sami, but it's Kautikano in Norwegian. And I met a reindeer herder at this wedding, as one does, and um, we developed a relationship and things were kind of unraveling in New York. I was having career burnout. I had just lost a really, really huge client that kind of defined my whole life because they'd become too big, you know. And, um, and I, I didn't want to make a bigger company to accommodate it. And, uh, and so I decided to go take a little bit of a sabbatical to the Arctic. And I did take my cats with me because I believe that you should keep, you have animals, you take care of your animals, but I, I didn't know how long I would stay or what I would do, but I ran, I moved in with the reindeer herder and we were wow. together for six months. I started learning Sammy. I started using, um, learning reindeer herding. And, um, and then in the dead of winter, my first winter there, the reindeer herder left me and, and just said, it's over. I'm leaving. Um, go back to New York. Oh, and <laughs> Can't, I, I can't imagine. I mean, <laughs> first of all, uh, the book is incredible, Dalvi, Six Years in the Arctic Tundra. But when you first arrived, I mean, 
it was it must have been a was it about minus 15 i think when you first arrived there wasn't it but it does go to about minus 30 or more doesn't it when i first started visiting it was very very cold but i but i by birth am a midwesterner and so the middle of the united states is really cold and we we i'm used to the cold so that didn't really bother me and it could be quite frigid in new york but when i came there to live i came in the summer but but the reindeer herder just left he went up into the mountains and said go back and I was faced with the decision, do I leave or do I stay? And by this time, I, you know, I didn't go for pure, purely for love. I went for a, a variety of reasons, which I explain in the book, but I thought I had made this big, big journey with both my cats and I had already invested, you know, my time in starting to learn Sammy at the university. It's a really tough language to learn. And um, I'm still a, a horrible at this language. But there was some weird feeling that came up in me that we live in such a modern world that um, you can go to any city in the world. You can go to Barcelona, be in Rome, go to, you know, go to London. You can find a Zara. I can go to Brighton, find a Zara, find a Pret, find a. And this is the one place where I had no idea. And I'd been very well traveled around the world. I had no idea what was what there or how to navigate. And instead of being afraid by that, I found it a little thrilling. You're Super. saying in the book as well that you you found the Arctic a place where you have to be with yourself because yes. there are no distractions. So you're saying that you found the loss of control quite liberating. I really did because I I started slowly. This this was an over years of time epiphany, but. Um, of course, I have to say one thing that I wasn't living in a teepee or, or a lavu, a sami tent. I mean, the Sami people are very, very modern, but they live side by side with with traditional wisdom. And I can tell you more about the reindeer herding, but I had faster internet than I will ever have. I remember reading that. <laughs> yeah, I was really surprised because you were working. You were working from your apartment, weren't you? And you had the best yeah. internet probably that we have. Yes, How I did. How did that I, happen? Uh, the, the Nordics, fabulous Norway. Um, yeah. But but aside from that, I was in a very, very remote place. And when it is that cold, you're not going out all the time. And you can't, it's not a culture of, you know, I'm a 50-year-old lady now. I'm not a person that would have been like hanging out at the pub alone. And so so you're you're not gonna online shop, you're not gonna go into stores, you're not going to, you know, you're not gonna go drinking. You're um, they're just not not distractions there you are really forced to be with yourself yeah and and, that's hard isn't it that's really yeah. really difficult for a lot of people oh yes I know I know at the time that you had been you know before your move to the Arctic you had you know you've been through your own personal um you'd had your own personal issues where yeah. you may have needed to be surrounded with familiarity yeah um, so how did you harness how did you harness the strength to make such a dramatic move when you were feeling quite vulnerable? I just, it was just something that I knew I needed. I, there are some things I think that happen in our lives that I know with me, at least I knew this is supposed to happen. I didn't know about outcomes, but I also was starting to learn. We predicate our whole lives based on predicting outcomes and planning and all of this. And the universe will just knock you on the head. I, I don't want to sound like a new ager by saying that. It's true. But, it's so but, true. But all of these, you know, people 
Buddhist thought and all of the great thinkers that say you have to be in the moment because it's all you have. It's really true, but I certainly, certainly did not live my life that way. And my, you know, my job was always planning things out, being responsible for other people, making schedules, being on time and managing things. And so this is really different for me to say, you have to be in a place where you don't know anything and you have to learn everything. And that, that really brought back to me a sense of wonder and, and also a really deep love of nature because I started walking every day. And this is one of the most magical landscapes on earth all through the year, not just the winter when it's cold, but there's nothing like the tundra. It's a different environment. And just explain to our listeners, for those that don't know what the tundra is. Yeah. So the tundra is is a different environment from the the rest of Norway. A tundra environment has has different different kinds of plants and different kinds of trees. So where I was on the tundra, there are only very low trees, silver birches, not the really tall ones you might be used to. And it's covered with moss. And that is food for the reindeer. And um, what's really amazing about that is it's like walking on pillows all the time. I mean, it's just so springy. Yeah, it's isn't it moss anyway? Yes, and it looks really, really prehistoric. You can imagine, so many times I would imagine thinking, this is what it must have looked like when dinosaurs were around. And you have, in the part of Norway where I lived, you had vast, vast thousands of really clear Arctic lakes and beautiful mountains, snow capped still at the top. And and the sky is everything. I mean, the the whole place is swallowed by sky. Yeah. The summer is an amazing thing and and 24 hour sun. Wow. So let's talk about Alu and the the reindeer herder and what that involves and you know well how did you get involved and and what is it and how how would he make his money I was thinking would he sell it for meat or how how does that work well that's that's pretty correct Karen I so Sami people do all sorts of jobs and and um but there's still a very small fragment of Sami people about 10 percent of the culture are reindeer herders and they've done this since before recorded history. And that basically means following the reindeer across vast, you know, vast um, distances and making sure in the winter that there's that they have enough food, that they're safe from apex predators, you know, so um so and, and making sure that they are calving okay. And then a couple of times a year the reindeer are brought into more populated areas well it's called going into the fence but in a a gigantic enclosure and everybody's families um you belong to certain groups called CETA and the families all get together to work together mothers grandmothers fathers children waiting for the reindeer to come into the fence and that's when they're inoculated castrated in the springtime or the summer in July, they will get ear markings on them. The rain, that's how the reindeer herders identify the reindeer. So it's a lifestyle of the reindeer herders. And I will say it's mostly, mostly men. Um, the, The women are really, really tasked with, you know, having municipal jobs and running the finances of the house and taking care of the kids because reindeer herding can go up and down 
in, in terms of what kind of year it is, and the weather has a lot to do with this, you know, a hard winter is bad for reindeer. And he was, he would be away for, for weeks, maybe months yes. at a time, wouldn't yes. he? How did you fill your time during that six months? Because it was a fairly new relationship, wasn't it really? Yeah, I mean, I think first it was, but also, you know, I, I was intensively studying Sami language at the, the local university. It was very challenging for me because I'm not a good language person. I struggle with British English. Um, <laughs> you sound great. You sound great, Laura. Water, water, water. water. <laughs> um, and so, and, and just sort of learning how to be in this environment, you know, I, I keep saying Sammy's are very modern, but that being said, I was actually with a reindeer herder that was living like it was, you know, 1802. Crazy. So he had never lived apart from his parents because he was always up on the tundra. So why would you need your own place? And he had, he had just collected from all of his relatives, really old things to put into the house, like, um, like a drum washer. So I was doing things in this very old timey kind of way, despite the fact that three hours away, I probably could have had a powerful, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> well, I, I incredible that you really embraced that life. But do you think if you, if the relationship hadn't had, had ended then, would, did you see yourself living there forever, having a family with, with Alu? No, I, you weren't looking that far ahead. I wasn't looking that far ahead, but then eventually I did. It's a conclusion I come to farther in the book, but I think that you, you know, first of all, there's a whole chapter too about the DNA of all of this that says, yeah, yeah. I am not a Sammy. I am an American lady from Indiana who lived in LA and New York. And I think that you're, you know, I ended up taking a master's degree and in, in, in these, in indigenous journalism. And I think your lived culture is what makes you who you are. Um, you know, my, one of my grandmothers, great grandmothers came here from the West Midland, came to the U S from the West Midlands. And I knew nothing about the UK. No. Um, so, so I started to slowly realize though, that the cultures were so, so different. And I think I, I ended up being friends with him after this breakup. We're still friends to this day. It, it took a while, but it, I, that partially came about because I realized I ended up realizing what a stretch this man had made with his life to bring me into his world, a place where, you know, people don't often go outside of their culture and live outside of their culture. Um, and to take on this American with two cats, because people don't do, that was another thing. Like, yeah, how did they cope with the weather? Because I know they have their, their coats, but two from cats, they America to the Arctic, <laughs> come on, yes. were, they, were they fine? Yes. And, didn't, and didn't Boo go missing? You had one called Boo and she went, was it a she? She went missing. Boo, my, my beautiful, my beautiful cat, Boo. Um, Boo had, was adopted from a shelter in Harlem, the, and um, I loved him dearly, took him with another cat to the Arctic, and he, he had never, ever been outside before. He, he lived oh in God. New York City in a high-rise, and he just got cat feet, decided he had to go out, and he climbed out of a window one day in the spring, and he was gone for many, many months. <gasps> And he was actually part of what really brought me closer to the culture because I had to learn so many Sami words. I was walking all over the tundra calling for him. 
talking to old reindeer herders, you know, who would tell me if they thought he was taken by a golden eagle or, and, and neighbors were looking for him. And um, he, a, a spoiler alert in the book, he, he did end up, you know, being found skinny yeah, yeah. and almost dead, but he survived and he's the miracle on the tundra. And really, unfortunately, Boo just died last week. Oh my goodness. I I know. I'm so sorry. I yes. know you you loved your cats and I when, when you read <laughs> that you took them with you, I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. But Laura, we're just going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes time. Sure, sure. Let me introduce our sponsor, Everything Genetic Limited, specialists in preventative healthcare testing helping people to identify to see if they are at risk of developing common hereditary cancers and heart conditions. Based in Nantwich, Cheshire, they partner with some of the UK's market-leading laboratories, supplying revolutionary genetic tests to healthcare providers and patients for the detection, diagnosis and treatment planning of cancer, heart disease and other illnesses. One of their main aims is to democratise genetic testing, meaning everyone can take control of their own well-being and healthcare to detect any problems at an early stage, when they are most treatable. They also offer a COVID testing service which is on the government list, initially launched to support clinical partners who were unable to get patients in during the pandemic. This service enables patients to come back into clinics to resume all important cancer testing and is available through over 200 partner companies. They offer a comprehensive range of coronavirus COVID-19 test kits and services for individuals, healthcare providers and employers. For more information, visit their website, everythinggeneticlimited.co.uk. So welcome back. We're talking to Laura Galloway about her time in the Arctic and her fabulous book, Dalvi, Six Years in the Arctic Tundra. So Laura, let's just talk about the assimilation of Arctic living. Tell us a bit more about that, the shock factor. Well, I think... um... There aren't there aren't really books written about about a small indigenous culture like this. So I couldn't get a lonely planet and know what to do. That's why I think the learning curve was so tremendous. And it was interesting though. So Sami culture and the reindeer herding community, it's a visiting culture. So you always keep coffee out. You don't um And it was very people, strong, wasn't it? Rather undrinkable, I think. <laughs> yes and people come and people come and go it, you just leave the door unlocked and um and so I didn't understand this and, and people come and they also don't have this thing that we have of you know I think Americans have it very much British people don't but I joke and I as an American I think we're like the golden retrievers of cultures um, because we're just we're, hi hi Karen how are you what's yeah, going yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and this is really not northern and it's really not Sammy and and you don't have to fill the space the whole time with with talking so people will come and sit down on your sofa and just sit and drink coffee quietly and I'm thinking oh I'm a terrible host um, and and so that was a big learning curve and and just responses to things sense of time I'm trying to think of the big ones to tell you um and what about the food you know the environment and so where I live the daylight obviously a lot of reindeer eaten where I lived of course um 
And when I first moved to this tiny village, there was one one market and then a smaller market that was one room. And now they have a, a huge market there. So it's very modernized, but, but people would only mostly eat reindeer. And in, the, and in the spring and the summer, you would eat um, a lot of fish because there are so many fish in the lakes. You don't even need to know how to fish. You just take a net. I mean, it, unbelievably fabulous food and you eat very seasonally if you're you're eating according to the land and um 24 hours of darkness and then and then 24 hours of sun in the summer which to me was the much more unsettling piece of all of this because i think we many of us don't realize i certainly didn't that um in order to fall asleep, and I think this is probably why they tell people don't go to bed with your yeah. machine. You need you need general light gradation to yeah. make you know it's going to. So you, if you have twenty four hours of sun, you can black out your bedroom completely, but you can't go in and then get into bed and say I'm going to bed now. And I I found that really um really really tough to acclimate to the twenty four hours of sunlight. Also, because if you live in environments like that, for example, we live in a very safe place. So you don't have meal times. You put the food out on, on the hob and kids can come get it when they want. But you have kids on the trampolines and on their bikes at four in the morning. And, you know, because crazy, isn't it? So they don't have a sleep pattern. They just sleep when they're tired. Right. Eat when you're hungry, sleep when you're tired, your job to sort of self-regulate that. And so kids grow up being very independent in that way. But what about school though? They must have been, you know, programmed in at certain times of the day. in In school, you go to school, but that usually happens in the autumn and then it ends pretty early. So, um, so you, you know, early, it, it, school begins in the autumn and and seasons come very quickly there but in the summer there's not school and so kids are sort of just doing their own doing their own thing so what was it like living in total darkness 24 hours a day that must have been hard I would have thought <laughs> to be honest with you Karen I got really really fat because <laughs> at first well, it's cozy get the fire on it's chocolate time it is <laughs> that's exactly it's like it's it's every you know higgy you know the word higgy and Scandinavian fantasy of being cozy you want to burn fires you want to bake bread but you know it becomes eat bread with with butter and you yeah. know chocolate and food <laughs> right but it becomes a problem when you when that hour starts arriving at 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> when it, because you wouldn't know would you every hour is going to be the same isn't it no, so no. what do you think touched you most about the way of you know the way that they lived and, and your way of life at the time i I just think this it's it's really salient for the whole world right now, this idea of being in the present moment, you know, instead of constantly looking ahead or planning ahead or looking at the past, just you have to deal with the world as it is in front of you at the moment. And and, coming from New York, fast paced, you know, yeah. awake yeah. 24 hours, a city that never sleeps, that must have been quite quite an adaptation for you. That and also just, you know, I, I think the relationships in the North and it's not just Sammy and I, it, it, I could say that it's very Scandinavian, but the, when the relationships are made, they're very real and they're solid and they're genuine. They take longer, but they're, 
you know, you you don't get these sort of, you know, <laughs> vicissitudes of, you yeah, know, my new friend that you're at a party list. So yeah, so that those are really big changes for me. So let's talk about your book, because obviously I know that <laughs> we are talking about your book, but when yeah. did you decide to write it? Why did you decide to write it? And where can we get it? Thank you. Well, it, it's important to say that this book is very much about the Arctic, but I like to tell people that it was a very internal, very interior journey set against a very exter exterior background. So a lot of it is a childhood memoir because I wanted to explain to readers why I would make such a gigantic decision in my life. And it didn't happen on a whim. Um, and I think that's also why I stayed for a long time. So, um, so the book is really talks about the Arctic and also a sense of aloneness and lack of belonging and starting with my mother dying when I was three and a turbulent growing up. Um, so, so that's really what this book about is about and, and what I found, which ultimately was a sense of belonging, but not because of a DNA test. It was, I found my way in the world where I, in a place where an unexpected place. Yeah. Um, so. And did you, do you find now that after obviously writing the book, an integral, an integral component of the book, like you said, explored your childhood and your yeah. complex relationship with your stepmother and your, your yeah. siblings and things like that. Do you think that your stay in the Arctic allowed you to make peace with your childhood experience, do you think? Yes, Karen, that's a great way of articulating that. I think it really did. And I think I never intended to write a book when I moved there. But then when I was sort of, when you write a memoir, I think you're trying to make sense of your life. And so I did that. And I also did it because I had lived in this extraordinary place that everywhere I go, nobody has I, any idea there are Sami people or what the culture is. So I had to marry my experience as an outsider with why I went there and all of this and that that's why I wrote the book and it did leave me with a sense of peace and gratitude and sort of um better self-understanding and it's probably a, a kind of therapy in a way to revisit yeah. and and challenge yourself isn't it when you're you're writing about your experiences losing yeah. your mom at such a young age and, and your relationship with your stepmom it must have been quite challenging but also therapeutic in a way as well it was and I and also I just I really did write it hoping that other other people that feel like they have had a challenging family situation or a sense of being an outsider or not really belonging or or falling or, or stumbling in life which I did I did I did which is part of why I went to the Arctic and I'm I'm pretty transparent about that and I want people to say wow it, it, you know life is a learning curve you are meant to make mistakes that's the whole point. It's not about perfection. It's about seeing what happens next. Yeah. And tell us about your friendships that you made in the Arctic, because you're still in touch and you made some great relationships, didn't you? I did. And as a matter of fact, this past weekend, there's a wonderful Norwegian newspaper editor called Stain who just came to England and stayed with us for, for two days. And I remember reading about Stain. Yeah. He came to your rescue, didn't he, as well, when your relationship did end. He did. And he, he was one of the first people to know my dogs. And so he, um, so my dog, I have an Instagram account called author Laura Galloway, but there's, you don't even have to have read the book to see this picture of my old girl, Rassi, the dog, seeing Stain again for the first time in several years. 
um, after. Um, so after you had you had them in 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 Norway, then you brought them back with you. Yes, I did. Wow. I, I took two cats and two dogs on a multi-country journey from the Arctic down to the UK. <laughs> oh my goodness! In a car. Oh my goodness! Um, that was exciting. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So. And are you still in touch with the reindeer herder? I am. Um, I am. He just messaged me this morning, as a matter of fact, to ask me about night if if night vision binoculars are cheaper. <laughs> are they cheaper over here than over there? No, they so, are not. <laughs> and what's he up to? Is he married? Does he have a family now? He he has a family now, and he actually ended up with a at with a doctor with a, a Scandinavian doctor. So I think he I think something in something in his makeup was that he would end up finding professional women. Like, but he still <laughs> lives in his village, and he's still reindeer herding. Oh, and how about now? How's life for you now, Laura? Because you're in the UK. I live in the UK. I love it here. Um, I ended up. I sounds like I'm a, you know, dating and moving and that's really not the case, but I, I did end up meeting a British man several years ago and we, uh, <laughs> who said that he would never date anyone farther than the next vi village over, but he ended up meeting me. Oh my and, goodness. Always the you know, case. Back and forth from the Arctic, you know, the Gatwick Arctic express both ways. <laughs> Somebody had to make the move. So it was me. <laughs> oh, fabulous. Oh, Laura, it's been honestly an inspiration talking to you today. But for our listeners, if they have any questions or want to follow you on uh, social media, uh, read out all your different platforms. Oh, sure. Thanks. Well, I post a lot on Instagram, a lot from my time in, um, in SAPME in the North. And I'm author Laura Galloway there and on Facebook. And I'm Laura Galloway on Twitter, but not very active. And um, yeah, my website is authorlauragalloway.com. And just to remind our listeners, where can we buy the book from? It's in all the stores right now. You can get it at bookshop.org, um, Waterstones, Amazon, Amazon UK. It, it's everywhere. And the paperback is now out. So it's a bit cheaper to buy. Fabulous. And what are your plans for the future, Laura? I well, that's what I learned up north. I have no idea. <laughs> that's, that's that's lovely, though, isn't it? How lovely you can just sit back and think. I'll just see what comes to me. Maybe right. another visit to to the Arctic. Yes, this was oh. really lovely. Thank you so much, Karen. Yeah, thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to my podcast, Appetite for Life, also supported by sponsor Danebank House Dental Practice, where happiness starts with a smile. Would you like to be a guest on this show? Or maybe you're interested in a sponsorship package. For any further information, you can find me across various social media platforms as Karen Kelly Podcasts or send me an email, karenenderkelly at btinternet.com.